Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where we take the Word of God and preach a timely message from the pulpit of Victory Baptist Church of Fallon, Nevada. All of this. But uh, I'll go ahead and start us with prayer. Heavenly Father, we give thanks, Lord, for another wonderful day, God, and a chance to be in your house and to hear your word and learn from you, God, and to uh, hopefully draw closer to you in our lives and in our walks, God. We ask your blessing upon all who are here today, Lord, and let the word touch our hearts and our lives. We ask that you uh, bless those that are here, bless those that are yet to come, bless those who are also listening and watching via the uh, uh, live stream, God. We lift this all up to you in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start with uh, a recap of last week's lesson. You know, and our question was, what is God? Ready? Okay, so what's the answer? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. But those are some awesome things to take note of and to be aware of. Uh, so we're going to do that one more time. The question is, what is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. And then our memory verse is Psalms 86, 8 through 10, and verse 15. Psalm 86. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And those are all things that we really need to be thankful for. Uh, he's merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Because, you know, how do we respond sometimes if our kids just continue to ignore us and do things that they're not supposed to be doing? You know, it kind of pushes buttons, doesn't it? You know, but God's not that way. He might sit there and shake his head sometimes at the dumb stuff we keep doing. But he's gracious enough to forgive us uh, when we come to him and we, we ask for that forgiveness. But he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So in lesson two, we saw that God is not only the creator and sustainer, but he's much, much more. You know, we touched on a lot of his other attributes and things. Uh, Anybody want to throw out a couple of attributes? So there's different attributes. Anybody? Oh, okay. But, uh, you know, we went through some of them here. But we also see the workings of God. You know, we touched on the realization that the Bible is the autobiography of this great God. And through it, we can know who he is, what he does, and that he's real. But if you think about it, one of the most important things is that we can understand from the Bible that he wants 
uh, he wants us, you, me, everybody else, to have a personal, trusting, and loving relationship with him. Oh, and he has made a way for that to happen, that we can have that relationship with him. And that way that he's opened up is through his son, Jesus. You know, the sacrificial offering of, uh, of Jesus Christ. You know, and by his blood, we can become family of God. We can enter into the family of God. So our question uh, for this... Excuse me. Okay, um, this week's lesson, you know, we're on the Trinity, or, but, uh, I'll get into that, but the term Trinity, oh, thank you, it's typically understood um, to be who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes. No, no. Um, it's so ingrained and it's so common uh, that what we what's often referred to as Trinitarian Christianity um, that you know it's okay uh, it's okay to use it but for the purpose of uh, this study you know we want to bring it back more toward uh, the use of the biblical word you know, we're getting back to these foundational biblical or biblical basis, and so we're going to use the word Godhead, the term Godhead. You know, the word Trinity—it's not used anywhere in the Bible text, but um, it is a descriptive term. It's been used for centuries, you know, to describe that three three in one nature of who the Bible is about. That's God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, if you if you mention the word Trinity, virtually any Christian is going to understand what it means, and many who aren't Christians. Um, so during the course of this, I may end up saying Trinity instead of Godhead once or twice anyway, but uh, I'll try to get around it. So. That brings us to this week's uh, question and answer. So the question is, how many persons are there in God? We got noise coming from somewhere. Hold on here. Correct, yes. There are, it all, uh, how many persons are there in God? The folks on the live stream couldn't hear it but it says there are three persons in one true and living God the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit they are the same in substance equal in power and glory God I uh, my studying for this it's kind of like you know okay I can make it make this understandable easy enough um and I wanted to get a little more into my own mind in terms of the Trinity and some of the where um, that three-person Godhead, uh, the, the three persons in particular are mentioned throughout the Bible. <laughs> that thing just kept going, you know, and going and going. 
and I'm sitting there, my head spinning. And said, nope, got to bring it back into focus. So, but it's a it's an awesome study when you really start getting into it. And I know there's a lot of it in there. I knew there was a lot of it in there, but once I started taking notes and jotting down um, scriptures and verses and text and all this stuff, and it's like, wow. Thanks for the reminder, Lord. So how many persons are there in God? Go ahead. There are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power, and glory. And our memory verse comes from 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So we're going to do a sh we're going to start off here with a kind of a short quiz. You know, simple, true and false. So number one, the word Trinity is found in the Bible. Is that true or false? False. false. There is one God. Is that true or false? True, yes. One true God, you know, is the way we could put that out there. But um, the Father is fully God. True or false? True. God has always existed as three persons. True. Now, God the Son only came into existence when Mary became pregnant. False. Big false. The Son is not the Father. True. The persons of the Trinity each have distinct roles. True or false? True. God the Father died on the cross for us. True or false? False. And a question that they didn't have in there um, is the Holy Spirit is less important than the Father and the Son. True or false? False. Yeah. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is very much uh, important. Now, one of the things we need to need to be aware of is that concept of the doctrine of the Godhead or the Trinity. Um, it's hard to understand in many ways, and I think it's because of the infinity of it for the most part. Um, you know, and we being finite, it's kind of hard for us to really grasp that which goes beyond uh, beyond time and space. But um, it's important for us to really engage it, you know, in this and understand the doctrine of the Trinity so that we can better know God. We have that, that knowledge of who God is and his workings, yes. I've always had a problem with... Uh, <clears throat> Like we say God the Father, we say, you know, God the Son. Why do we always say the Holy Spirit when it's a person? The. Why do we say the instead of Holy Spirit? Don't have an answer for you on that one. You know, it, it always baffles me because I always go Holy Spirit. I, but the yeah. is like. But we are saying God the Father, God the Son, yeah. and God the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Here. 
if you would repeat that with a microphone, that'd be great. Here, we'll get you to use that. Thank you. Yeah. It's Go ahead. I it's hear so one. that it's 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 grammatically because it's saying that there's only one. So like the or the Holy Spirit. Okay. So you're not saying more than one Holy Spirit. You're saying the or the okay. Holy Spirit. That makes good sense. It does. It's really good. Now the word Trinity, it essentially means tri-unity. And I tried chasing that back in chasing it back to the meaning of the word um, and coming up with a lot of different answers regarding the Trinity, what, where it came from and things like that. But what they use in the book, it says essentially means tri-unity. Tri meaning three, unity meaning one. And that word does acknowledge what the Bible reveals to us about God, that God is three persons who all have the same essence. One God three persons. Oh, uh, I'm going to picture this. You get this big circle that's the Godhead. And within that circle, you've got the Father, Son, Holy Spirit uh, in there within that. You know, um, so you've got the totality of the Godhead and the three persons within that Godhead. Out the idea of uh, you know the circle is basically just for illustration. It's by no means uh, intended to encapsulate or uh, limit the power of God and the Godhead. You know, but it's again, it's just to just by illustration because the Godhead, God is limitless. So <coughs> he's not. It's not bound by time and space or even the attempts of men, the foolishness of men. But the essence or the nature of the Godhead, you know, as we know it, that defines, the nature of the Godhead defines what God is. And the three persons of the Godhead define who God is. You know, we see the, we see the completeness or the workings of God in the Godhead and all his actions and everything else. Um, so that shows us the distinction between the, between the three, and yet it also shows that indissoluble uh, unity between them, things that it just doesn't break down. The unity is there uh, always and always has been. And I got to thinking about it when I was looking through this. There uh, came across this... It's a simple formula, but it's quite logical. And it shows how the three persons relate eternally. Okay? So, because the Father sent the Son into the world, John 3.16, the Father cannot be the same person as the Son. So, two distinct persons. Likewise, after the Son returned to the Father, 
John 16, 10, the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit into the world. Again, the distinction, that's John, John 14, 26 and Acts 2, 33. So the Father sent the Son, so those are two distinct. Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit. So logically, the Holy Spirit is distinct from the Father and the Son. And I was really amazed at the number of groups who claim to be Christians who deny the three-person Godhead. <coughs> nope. There's only... It doesn't work that way, is what they're what they're saying. And it's like, man, you really got to feel sorry for them, you know, because it's pretty clear, biblically, that there are three separate persons. And one illustration that I ran across it states that the Father is the source of authority, the Son is the channel, and the Holy Spirit is the agent whereby authority is exercised. And I'll get, it, get a little deeper into that uh, here in just a few minutes. But the Father is the source of authority as well as um, creation and sustaining uh, where we're at. So um, our text is 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 through 14. And I'll try and get through this without choking. <coughs> so, Second uh, Corinthians thirteen five, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. And looking for. Uh, A definition of reprobates coming up with different things. My uh, study Bible here uh, uses the definition counterfeits. You know, not real Christians. So, except ye be, know how Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now, I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved but that ye should do that which is honest, though we, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and ye are strong, and this also we wish, even your perfection. Therefore I write these things, being present, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. Verse 11 says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Now, the Apostle Paul was writing uh, to the, those Corinthians in preparation of a planned visit to them. 
Uh, and apparently he didn't, he wanted to address him, but he's concerned that with the time that he showed up, there might be a lot of arguing and infighting and things like that. Because if we stop and think about it, um, uh, Corinth, Rome, all that was pretty much a religious cesspool. Just throw whatever in the pot, stir it around. You know, and there were a lot of people coming out of these things, not really knowing what they're doing um, and having issues about it. But in this instance, you know, he's concerned that there's going to be fighting and arguing among the people. And he's saying, hey, settle it down. Uh, Paul is challenging the truth or challenging the church to live obedient lives for God's glory. Don't do what you want. Do what God wants you to do. Be the people. Be the examples that God wants you to be. And I can see some of those things that we can take to heart in our own churches. You know, we got infighting in different churches and things like that, even within individual churches, about what God really, what God's really having, wanting His people to do, or wanting us as individuals to do but live obedient lives for God's glory. So he's telling them and us to examine ourselves and be sure of our faith and the one in whom we place our faith. <coughs> so I, Personally, I think it's a good idea on a regular basis we examine our stand with Christ, where we are in Christ. Um, and check in with God. Say, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite getting where I want to be. I'm not quite getting where I, where you want me to be. Help me out. I'm weak, but I, I can do it with you. I can do it with God. And God says you can do it with some of your, your peers too, the people in your church. But we can do this. But be sure of our faith. Uh, know what we know, and be, be set firm. You know, making sure that we have the right truth, that we have the right knowledge, that we have the right God, that we have the right Savior. You know, we find that in, all here in the Bible, and it transfers into our hearts. And we'll see it a bit that um, what gets into our hearts, what gets into our minds, what we what we learn, what we pick up on, a lot of that's instilled by the Holy Spirit. You know, he's our teacher, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but we need to be sure of our faith. We need to be sure of the one in whom we place our faith. Be certain that you're right with Christ. Know that God sent his son. His son came to earth to live as a man so that we could, he could show us an example of how we can live perfectly, but he also came to be the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice for us so that we can gain entry into heaven and that uh, sonship with God. So Paul ended his letters with this week's memory verse, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And it needs to be with us all so that we can, we can share beyond ourselves also. So what can we learn from it? Paul mentions the three persons of the Godhead in this verse. 
and he's showing the Corinthians how important God is for their lives and relationships with one another. We need to have relationships with the people that we go to church with. You know, so we could say, hey, brother, I, I, I need some help. You know, I, I, need, I need somebody to talk to. Or conversely, you can come and say, hey, can we sit and chat? You know, I got some questions. There's something I'm not understanding. Or I'm having a hard time with something. You know, God tells us to bear one another's burdens. Granted, we have to do it with wisdom. Because not everybody that you might share something with can necessarily, sadly enough, be trusted with what you might be wanting to share. You know, so some problems can arise. Typically, if you're having, we'll just say you're having a this-level problem with somebody that has a this-level knowledge of God, there could be a disparity in there that might not necessarily pan out the other way around. No, if they're having a this-level problem, you can help them out most likely. But if God puts you in a place to say, help this individual, be there for this individual, have fellowship with this individual, then we need to do that. But we also need to have that close-knit relationship with God. You know, we need to have that person, personal relationship. So that lesson also, or that verse also says it's, it does show us something of the distinct roles of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. First is the Lord Jesus. He's God the Son. And he's the one who reveals and displays God's grace clearly in his life and sacrificial death. Now we know what grace is. Grace is a kindness that we show to someone who doesn't deserve it. Sounds like us. God shows grace to us and we don't deserve it. But we need to in turn show that grace to, to others. Paul then prays that they would experience <coughs> that they would experience the love of God the Father and we should in turn show his love to others. And Paul prays that they would then know the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit and that in the case King James Version, that fellowship, that the word for fellowship is communion. You know, or um, looking at communion as something a little more, could even be a little more personal than just fellowship. Um, but they do have the same basic meaning, but that communion of God, the Holy Spirit, so that, um, you know, he's, he's within us, so we do have a closer relationship with him. Uh, we can use we can extend that fellowship to others and it's the holy spirit that brings sin sinners into friendship and fellowship with god and with one another because the bible tells us that we can know nothing without the spirit it's the spirit that opens the hearts and mind of people or touches the hearts and minds of people you know, so we need to understand that, you know, um, it was the Holy Spirit that touched our lives when we came to Christ. We came to acknowledge that, hey, we're sinners. Because let's face it, sometimes we want to stand and look at ourselves, hey, I'm not so bad. 
that's a, you're a scarecrow. You know, you're made out of filthy rags. You just, you, there's nothing about you that's good for the most part, except through me. I will cleanse you. I will clothe you. I will change your lives. I'll change your hearts and I'll change your minds. But it's the Holy Spirit that draws us into him. Because otherwise, hey, we're good guys. We're not so bad. Even if we are, we don't see ourselves as being that way. But the Word of God and the, and the Holy Spirit says, yes, you need to be cleansed. You need to take on, take the changes upon you that I have for you. Do you have a question? No. Did you have a question? No? Okay. Okay, so how many persons are there in God? That's our question. There are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Just say it with me again here. How many persons are there in God? There are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power, and glory. In our memory verse, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. One more time. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Yeah, there's a, that's used as a prayer um, in a lot of benedictions and uh, different services and things like that. But this verse is used as a prayer in many instances. Um, and that's something we can, we can keep in mind, you know, when we enter a place or when we're sending somebody back out. You know, the grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. It's like, wow, I think I can walk pretty good that way. You know, if we have that. (coughs) (coughs) No, this is aggravating. I'm sorry. Okay. Kind of at the end of that with with that, but um, for discussion, it says there's many verses and examples of the distinct and yet co-equal nature of the person of the Godhead. Can I get somebody to give me a couple of thoughts on what that might be? On just something. Anybody? Do I have volunteers? All and told? No. (laughs) Cowards all. (laughs) Oh. Let's look at uh, Genesis. Genesis 1. You know, you see God the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. All their creation. All there. And unfortunately, I ran off from the house. I had three pages of notes. And I was going to bring them along just for some extra examples. And they're sitting on the table. But there's a lot of 
different things in there. When the, uh, you know, the Spirit comes upon someone, you know, it directs us and leads us. Um, so we'll go, we'll go on. The Father is the first person of the Godhead. He's the first person of the Godhead, and he's, he is the final authority, if you, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, he's the father of creation. He's the father of Israel. He's the, the begotten father of Jesus Christ. For us, he's a protective father, and he's a redemptive father. You know, and Jesus Christ, um, in his ministry, any, any of the references, except for one time, he always referred to God as Father. Always. So that shows distinction between those two. And um, the Holy Spirit, you know, and Jesus' uh, reliance on the Holy Spirit through all things as he was doing. Again, uh, <laughs> there's some pretty sig significant notes on that. Unfortunately, they didn't stick in my brain. But um, his Jesus' reliance on the Holy Spirit and what they, uh, the relationship that they had was pretty phenomenal. But we can see that in the Word of God also. But Jesus is the begotten Son. He's our Redeemer. He's our intercessor. He's the Lamb of God. He is Lord. And He is our example of how we can live how we should live um, with God and with other people. So he's our example. But he's also, you know, he was, he was our lamb. He, he took our place. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a source of new life. He's our teacher. He's our counselor, our comforter. He unites believers. Um, and in thinking about it, he could also be considered our conscience, a spiritual conscience for us. I'm going to do this. Hey, don't do that. But it'll be okay. It's only a little thing. Don't do that. Now, now we can quench the spirit, which is really a dumb thing to do, but uh, we have a tendency to do that sometimes. But I think he's, he is our conscience, a spiritual conscience. And <coughs> God's directing us to do something. <coughs> or engage um, in what he, God wants us to do. The gifts that he wants us to have and to use. That information comes through the Holy Spirit. We could say, hey, I don't know how to do that. Holy Spirit says, I do. All you got to do is step out. We'll get you squared away. I know. And we spoke on this next one. Is he's the one who opens the eyes of the sinner to see the truth and understand their need for a Savior. We've already touched base on that. So it's really great to see and to know that we have an eternal Godhead. Father, Son, 
Holy Spirit. And they're limitless. There's nothing, nothing beyond the capabilities of God. Um, I did read one thing, though, that made perfect sense. It said there is one thing that God cannot do, and that's fail. God cannot fail. And it's like, that makes perfect sense. You know, so um, we can we can kind of share that information if somebody asks, is, is there anything God can't do? Yeah, God can't fail. Which is, you know, that's really uplifting when you think about it because that says that God's never going to let us down. He's made promises to us. He will fulfill those promises. And the Holy Spirit is going to lead us in the right way we should go. But Jesus is our intercessor. He sits there at the right hand of God. And somebody, you know, when time's up, says, this one's mine. You know, you got your ticket punched to the good side of the tracks. You know, that one claims to be mine, but no, he's not. He goes that way. Jesus is our intercessor. So I got a question for us. Can we actually believe that God exists as three persons in a singular Godhead? Can we believe that? Awesome. Yes. Absolutely. The whole Bible testifies to God's character and his mighty acts confirm over and over that he is who he says he is. And we see the distinction between the three persons throughout human history. We see it. So we can believe that God exists as three persons. We can believe that God exists. And we can believe that God loves us, cares for us, and wants wants what's best for us. So we need to be, need to examine ourselves. See, even if we do, we believe as fully as we should. Do we serve as fully as we could? Um, are we as faithful as we as we can be? Can I be more faithful? You know, those are things we need to examine in ourselves. If we ask him. Is there more I can do? What else do you want me to do? Am I doing what you want me to do? If we ask him the questions, he'll give us the answers. Even though sometimes we might not like the answers that he gives us. But when you ask God, says, God, I want to do something for you. What do you want me to do? And he tells you, don't freak out and go running into the night waving your hands. And say, okay, God, I'll do that. With that, I'll close. Heavenly Father, this lesson is uh, full, and there's much to learn from it, God. But help us all to take it to heart and know that um, you exist, and you are without limit, that you exist in three persons, God, and you're there for us in each and everything that we do and we encounter. God, you're there regardless of whether we're there for, for you or not. But Lord, I ask that you touch 
the hearts and lives and minds of each of us and help us to draw nearer to you and grow, grow uh, greater in wisdom and doing, knowing your word and learning uh, how to share you with others, Lord. But we lift up today all those that are here and all those who are yet to come. We ask your blessing upon them all. In Jesus' name, amen.